y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion of events that may be disturbing to some listeners or viewers. Discretion is advised. In late August of 2013, Ryan Hoy called the Aurora, Colorado Police Department for help. He said that his wife, 47-year-old Yoon Mi, and his 18-year-old stepdaughter, Isabella, were locked in the upstairs bathroom. He could hear his wife yelling for help, but wasn't exactly sure what was going on. Then he saw blood start to seep underneath the bathroom door and into the hallway. Shortly after, Isabella opened the bathroom door, knife in hand and covered in her mother's blood, and walked down the stairs and out of the home. What could have caused this young girl to commit such a brutal act? Was she suffering from delusions and an untreated mental illness, or was she simply a master manipulator? Hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. All right, you guys. So um, we've got a couple hey girl thanks before we start. Actually, maybe just one. I don't. 
I don't see that this case was requested by anybody. Um, it was really big on TikTok for a while, which Very we will big, talk yes. about later. But we do want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Madison for writing this one up. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So Isabella Guzman was born on June 9th, 1995 to father Robert Guzman and mother Yunmi Hoy. Eventually, Robert and Yunmi divorced when Isabella was three years old. Her mother remarried a man named Ryan Hoy. Her father eventually remarried as well. And there's not much published about Isabella as a child, but she did struggle with behavioral issues from a very young age. When she was just seven years old, Yunmi sent Isabella to go live with her father, Robert, because she couldn't handle her behavior. And according to Ryan, he said that Yunmi thought her dad would be a better disciplinarian for her. Maybe she needed different type of discipline. Yeah. Though living apart initially alleviated some of the issues between Isabella and her mother, when she eventually returned to live with Yunmi and her stepfather, Ryan, around the age of 14, the friction returned and it was worse than ever. Ryan later described his stepdaughter as, quote, hot-tempered, someone who ran her mouth a lot, cursing at her parents. She was very resentful towards her mother, and the two often had loud verbal altercations with one another. Ryan said that his wife would argue back with Isabella, which would only serve to enrage her more. Ryan later told investigators that Isabella had been seen by a psychiatrist once when she was about 16 years old, and the doctor said, nah, just regular teenage girl stuff. This is totally normal. This girl is at this point screaming at her mother, calling her very profane names. Mm -hmm. From what I understood, what it sounded like, she's getting into physical altercations with people. Yes, absolutely. She's very violent. She has moved into the master bedroom. Master bedroom in this home. Yeah. Ryan slept in the basement. The mother slept in a guest room. And Isabella had the master bedroom and bathroom. And neither one of them dared even go into that room without her permission. They were both very scared of her. So has the psychiatrist ever met a teenage girl is what I'm asking? Because like, I know. And that's where you get the, is she a master manipulator? Because mm -hmm. she does this with people. She's going to do it with the police too at one point. Like, that's not typical teenage girl stuff, dude. I don't, I mean, I was a teenage girl once. And well, and I've seen my super sweet 16. I understand that. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Girls mm -hmm. sometimes get what they want and they're like, oh, well, I'm used to getting what I want. But like mm -hmm. this is on a whole nother level, <laughs> whole other level. Yeah. But they were still concerned about her behavior, her attitude, and her eventually dropping out of Overland High School. But the psychiatrist just did not share those concerns. So on Tuesday, August 27th, 2013, it was reported that Isabella's disdain for her mother had reached a new height. The two had gotten into an argument. Isabella had yelled at Yunmi and had spit in her face. Oh my God. That's pretty awful. Yunmi was so upset by her daughter's behavior and so scared for her own well-being that she asked Ryan to sleep in her room with her that night. And again, Ryan slept in the basement. She slept in a different bedroom. So at this point, that's 
a heightened level of fear because she's like, I want you to sleep in here. Yes. I'm scared. So the following day, August 28th, Yunmi showed Ryan an email on her cell phone. And the email was from Isabella, but it was not addressed to Yunmi. It was addressed to Cecilia. The exact contents of the email have never been released, but Ryan said that it was very threatening. And one of the sentences said, you will pay. That's concerning. Absolutely. Yunmi, still upset by Isabella's behavior in the email, actually ended up calling the Aurora Police Department because she was so concerned for her own safety. This breaks my heart. Have you? This breaks my heart. You've heard the the call. Yeah. I mean, she calls and she says, I'm really worried. I don't know if my daughter is going to hurt me or somebody else. And the dispatcher is like, well, is she... Is she um, having like suicidal ideation? And she's like, I don't think so, but she's threatening me. And they're like, well, is she threatening you right now? And she's like, well, she did last night. She was threatening me and I'm scared. I'm afraid that she's going to hurt me or somebody else in this house. And they're like, I mean, okay, well, thanks for letting us know. Well, yeah. And she's like, wait, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. What are, what, what's going to happen after this? Yeah, what's going to happen? And she's like, oh, well, we're sending officers out and they'll talk to her and they might take her to like a mental hospital or something. We'll go from there. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And you can hear she's worried. She's scared. And she's also afraid of the repercussions because she knows that Isabella is going to be pissed Mm -hmm. when she finds out that she called the cops on her. Oh, yeah. So four officers responded to the family home on South Lima Drive in Aurora, Colorado. Aurora. Colorado, along with Isabella's birth father, Robert. They all spoke in the backyard where the officers told Isabella, like, hey, teenage girl, respect your mother. Please be nice (laughs) to her. And it's very interesting because they asked her, too, about any suicidal thoughts or anything. And she said, do you really think someone this beautiful would want to hurt themselves? Okay. I wish I had like a tenth of that confidence. Oh my gosh, I know. And then when the police walk in the backyard, she looks at them and is like, oh my God, I bet, I guess my mom called you. She's crazy. Like, I don't know. But it seemed like it felt very Lori Vallow to me because she's like talking her way out of it. And she's, everybody refers to her as this beautiful 18 year old. She's fine. Like, I'm not saying she's ugly she's, I'm sure there are plenty of people who think she's beautiful. I don't really see that, like... She's not stunningly beautiful. Like, I don't, I don't, like... She's not, like, so captivating that you can't, you know? Like, it's not like you can... If you and me were to tell you all of the things that she's been doing, and you walk up to her, and you're just like, I can't believe any of that. Look at how beautiful she is. Like, I don't know, but it seemed like they were just sort of like, look, pretty girl, can't... Everything seems fine. Bizarre. I know. And they ended up telling her that her mom did have the right to file a motion to evict her from the home if she felt that it was necessary because she's 18. Like, she's like, well, I don't have a job, so I can't support myself. And they're like, well, too fucking bad. I mean, she can do that if she wants to. After the officers left, Robert stayed and spoke privately with his daughter, telling her that she had to understand the importance of respecting her parents, especially her mother. 
Robert later said that he thought it was a really good conversation. He thought his daughter was finally understanding and that he'd gotten through to her. And the police did ask, can she go stay with you tonight, Robert? And he said, no, I don't think so. He said, she doesn't get along with my wife, which to be fair, maybe what happened would have happened at his house. I don't know, but he said no. Ryan later said that after the situation, Isabella seemed fine. And he said, I mean, she definitely was upset that her mom had called the police, right? But nothing that seemed abnormal. She didn't like her mom anyway. She was mad at her mom anyway all the time. She was not, there was nothing out of the ordinary. There was like, for him, there was no warning as to what was going to happen later that night. Absolutely. On Wednesday, August 28th, around 9 p.m. or 9.30 p.m., Yoon Mi returned home after she'd called the police earlier that day because Isabella's increasingly concerning behavior, Yoon Mi had returned to work at her photography studio. And this was actually the same studio that she'd gotten Isabella a job at, hoping that it would help her learn some responsibility. Right. And guess what? She called the studio. Bella's photos. Mm. Yeah. After her daughter, who she loved. So you and me brought bag, brought bag, brought back (laughs) a bag of McDonald's for her husband, Ryan. And he said that when she arrived home, she asked where Isabella was. And he was like, well, I don't know. I last saw her when she was in the kitchen. It was about an hour ago. Ryan stayed in the living room to eat his dinner, and you and me went upstairs to take a shower. After a few minutes, Ryan heard thumping noises, loud, that seemed to shake the entire house. He then heard his wife screaming his name. Ryan ran upstairs and found the noise and screams coming from the bathroom. He heard the shower running, and the door was just slightly ajar. So when Ryan tried to open the room, or like open the door, Isabella leaned back up against it, and then she locked it. He tried to push against it, but he couldn't get inside. Ryan ran back downstairs to the living room. He grabbed his cell phone. He called 911. At 10.05 p.m., the Aurora Police Dispatch Center received their second call of the day from 2624 South Lima Street. Ryan told the dispatch that his wife and stepdaughter were inside the bathroom and that he couldn't get inside. And he said that he thought that his wife was seriously injured and that he could see blood coming from underneath the door. Ryan then heard his wife say, quote unquote, Jehovah. Then Isabella opened the bathroom door. She stood in the doorway, holding a knife in her right hand. Ryan described his stepdaughter as having a blank look on her face as she stared straight ahead and then walked right past him. And he's on the phone with 911 when all of this is happening. So you can hear him like calling into the bathroom, asking them what's going on. You can hear things in the background. It did sound like a dog barking too to me, but which we know there are dogs in the house, but but you could hear stuff happening. Yeah. I gotta say, Ryan doesn't sound like the kind of like he describes this point when he talks to the police later as like his adrenaline was pumping and like from the affect in his voice, you couldn't tell that. He seems pretty calm. <laughs> he's very, yeah, he's because he's just like, yeah, I mean, I can't get in there and I'm hearing these noises and I think I think she's, I think she's hurt. And then he's like, oh my God, there's blood coming out from under the door. Like, he's definitely worried. It's just, he's definitely got an affect in his voice where he doesn't really get super animated. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like. 
Definitely. But you can hear him on the phone talking to Isabella when she opens the door. And he's so distracted by everything else that she runs past. But it's just, it's bizarre to hear it. I don't know. Absolutely. So he walks into the bathroom. He sees Yoon Mi laying on the floor covered in blood. There was a a baseball bat underneath her and the dispatcher instructed Ryan on how to open his wife's airway and perform CPR. And Ryan did as he was told, but later said that he believed that his wife was already dead because of the blank look in her eyes. At 10.16 p.m., officers arrived at the home to find Ryan, now covered in blood. Ryan told the officers that Isabella had fled the residence wearing a pink sports bra and turquoise shorts. After clearing the residence pretty quickly of any threats, officers found Yoon Mi lying nude in the bathroom on her back. She had significant, um, she had a significant amount of lacerations to her face and neck. Paramedics arrived shortly after and pronounced Yoon Mi dead at 10.28 p.m. Isabella was absolutely nowhere to be found. The Aurora Police Department immediately began a search to find 18-year-old Isabella. They tried to ping her cell phone, but she had turned it off. Around 11.30 a.m. the next day, so it's Thursday, August 29th, officers received a call regarding a body inside of a vehicle in a parking garage on South Parker Road, just about eight miles or so from the Hoy residence. When they arrived, the caller told them that he'd seen a person sitting inside a Jeep that belonged to his company. On the ground outside of the Jeep was a backpack and a bunch of clothes. And at this point, nobody's in the vehicle. Concerned with some of the items found on the ground, the responding officer called in for backup and the parking garage was searched. More items were found that concerned officers that they might be connected to the murder of Yun Mi. Witnesses said that eventually a woman walked out of the garage with several officers. Isabella had been found hiding underneath a staircase. A bloody knife was found nearby. It's not hers, so don't worry about that. No, it fell out of her hair that way. Exactly. She was taken into custody and investigators began what soon became one of the most frustrating interrogations they had ever been in. So Isabella Guzman, she's sitting inside of the police interrogation room. Two detectives could not even get her to answer the most basic of questions. She vehemently denied being Isabella Guzman. And she said that she was actually Samantha Gonzalez. She was only 15 years old. And she accused the officers of trying to ruin her life because she looked so similar to someone named Isabella. I mean, she Ted Bundied it all the way. I just, not telling you my name, not telling you my name. But I also, like, (laughs) like, here's the picture of you. This is you, right? And she's like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like all the evidence in her face. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I know. And like they kept calling her Isabella. And she's like, I don't know who that is. I didn't murder Stop anybody. Stop saying that to me. Stop don't, calling don't me Don't say me that. Yeah. Ugh. So Isabella asked them to fingerprint her multiple times, desperate to prove that she wasn't the murderer that they've been looking for. And detectives insisted that it was obvious that she was (laughs) like, bitch, I know you are Isabella Guzman. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to say this to you. You are not somebody that's not Isabella Guzman. Exactly. You're exactly Isabella Guzman. But Isabella Guzman continued to argue, saying that Isabella was supposedly 110 pounds, but, you know, like, 
that girl, the girl that you're looking for, way thinner than I am. I'm actually 148 pounds. So that could not be me. I also felt like the way she said it, though, she was like, that girl is 110 pounds. That's really skinny. I'm 148 pounds. It was almost like... That is Bella. She's hot. She I know. Hot. Yes. Um, it's not me. I wish I was her, but she's very skinny. Good for her. I really <laughs> wish that, again, I don't want to be like Isabella Guzman, but I wouldn't mind having a little bit of the confidence that she has about herself. Like, I know. Oh my gosh. The detectives showed her photos of her own self. And she was like, well, I mean, there are a lot of people in the world that look exactly alike, so. Mm -hmm. She's like, you guys aren't, like, all knowing or anything. There are people that look alike. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, As for why she was in the parking garage that day, Isabella told them that she had run away from an abusive mother, and she said her mother, Sabrina, hated (laughs) her because she was her illegitimate child and that she never met her real father. She only knew that her father was Mexican and that his last name was Gonzalez. She continued to tell investigators that she'd wished that she had never taken that shortcut through the parking garage. That was her biggest mistake. (laughs) Exactly. Now I've taken this shortcut and now you think I'm somebody else. Exactly. Ugh. God, what a bad day for me. How inconvenient for me. (laughs) Isabella continued to ask detectives to fingerprint her or to take her DNA that they would not be able to match this with the murderer they were looking for. And detectives were like, listen, you're going to be spending the rest of your life in jail for what you did. But every time they called her Isabella, she would get super pissed. Like she would get really irritated. And she was like, my name is Samantha. Yeah. Also, what did she think was going to happen if they did? If they were like, fine, fuck it. We'll fingerprint you. Okay. Like, obviously it's going to match. Yeah. So what did she think was going to happen? That they were going to be like, well, let's fingerprint you and you go home while we wait for the result. Like, I don't know how she thought that was going to help her. I don't know. I wonder if she was like thinking that she was going to call her own. You know what I mean? Like, I'll call your bluff kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like maybe they'll think. I must be telling the truth if I'd be willing to do something like that. Yeah. That's the only thing that I can figure. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, and obviously this is not rooted in reality. So, well, it, you know. Yeah. Or just not planning well. No, understand uh-huh. that all by itself. Isabella told the detectives that she lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she went to Montgomery uh, High School. The address that she gave officers didn't even exist in Cincinnati, but it did exist in Aurora. And this was just across the street from her own house in Aurora that she lived in with her mother and stepfather. When confronted with this information, Isabella didn't really have a response. I don't know what to tell you, man. Samantha knows what Samantha knows. Uh. (laughs) When asked where she was supposedly running away to, Isabella told detectives that she was meeting her boyfriend and that he was probably really worried about her. And Isabella said that his name was Gabriel Adams and that they could call him and clear all of this up. But here's the little caveat there. She didn't really know how to reach him because he had to, quote-unquote, dump his phone. So, if you can... So, why'd you offer that? Yeah, if you can uh, send a a pigeon, Mm. if you can fox him, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But if you can get in touch with him, he will clear my name. 
I can't tell mm-hmm. you how to get in touch. That's your fucking problem. So, yeah. Turns out I don't actually know his number. <laughs> so, despite the continued interrogation and all of the irrefutable evidence being presented to Isabella, she literally was like, nope, nope, nope. I am Samantha Gonzalez. That ain't me. Her effect. Her affect was extremely flat and nothing really seemed to upset her. She denied any drug or alcohol abuse. And she said that she'd never been to see any kind of doctor for anything other than the the occasional cold. Detectives obviously knew that this wasn't true. They'd found marijuana in Isabella's bedroom. And when detectives told Isabella that they'd talked to her friends, she said that she didn't really have any friends. The detectives told her that most of the people they'd spoken to didn't really like her and thought that she was mean and a liar. And this was one of the first things that really seemed to rattle Isabella. (laughs) One of the people brought in by police for questioning was Isabella's friend, Catherine, who went by Kathy Argueta. Kathy and her husband, mm -mm. Kathy and her boyfriend used to spend much of their free time with Isabella and her now ex-boyfriend, Aaliyah. No, I did did it again. again. I did it again. (laughs) Kathy and her boyfriend used to spend much of their free time with Isabella and her now ex-boyfriend, Ilya. The foursome used to smoke weed together, and Kathy said that Isabella had recently developed a spiritual side, which had become more withdrawn since she had been dating Ilya. However, on August 26th, this is two days before the murder, Kathy received a text message from Isabella, and the text was insulting and derogatory and also said, quote, I know what you did. She immediately responded to this text message, but Isabella didn't respond back. Kathy was like, what is this about? Isabella didn't say anything. It's also so funny to hear like, I mean, I'm going to say kids their age because like they were kids. I mean, 18, 17, 18 at that time. Yeah. Um, but Kathy's like, she sent me this text and it's like, I know what you did. And she like called her a bunch of names or something. And she's like, so I just wrote her back and I was like, uh, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And I sent like a like, huh, emoji. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> like, what do you mean? It was just kind of funny. Yeah. It's like, uh, that was super sus, bro. Like, I don't even yeah. know. So on August 28th, this is the day of the murder, Kathy received another strange text from Isabella around 7.15 p.m. And the text said, quote, the astro beam has awakened. I do what? What does that even? Okay. So Kathy, again, responded, asking her, what the fuck are you talking about? But Isabella did not text back. And just a few hours later, she brutally murdered her mother. Kathy said that she had never known Isabella to be violent. At first, she thought that Isabella had just beaten her mother up, which was like, I mean, all by itself shocking. When she learned that Isabella had actually stabbed her mother to death, she could not believe it. A young man named Darian said that he'd known Isabella for a while, but like her friendship with Kathy, had only hung out with her sporadically. He said that when he had hung out with uh, Isabella, she usually came out of her house and was upset about something that her mother had done. He also said that when he'd seen Isabella, um, he saw her experimenting with harder drugs like morphine and that he had even seen her physically assault a girl while high on morphine. Also, similar to Kathy's account, Darian said that when he first met Isabella, she was talkative and fun, but recently she'd become withdrawn and emotionless. 
Ryan, her stepfather, told investigators that Isabella had dated Ilya for a few years, but that she'd broken up with him a few days before the murder. So before the breakup, Isabella spent damn near all of her time with Ilya. Ilya. Ryan said that if Isabella wasn't with Ilya, she was in her bedroom with the door shut. And after the breakup, Isabella had told her stepfather to not let Ilya into the house. But on the afternoon before the murder, Ilya came to the house. He ducked inside, grabbed something that he had said he left in Isabella's room, and then he left. And Ryan didn't think much of it. Ilya said that he'd come by the house a few days prior to the murder to return some of her belongings and that she'd opened the door angrily. She tried to attack him with a golf club. And Ilya said that Isabella had broken up with him after accusing him of cheating on her with Kathy. And he was like, no, I did not. Yeah. Actually did not happen. She's kind of, she's getting paranoid. Well, she's something, there's a, some kind of break, a mental break going on there. But he also said that after the breakup, Isabella continued to text Ilya threats and accusations. And he also said that Isabella had, she was convinced that her mother had threatened to poison her and the dogs. And she told him that she had gotten really sick after eating something from the refrigerator and that she'd smelled bleach, that she had smelled bleach in the dog's water bowl. And Ilya had seen many verbal arguments between Isabella and Yunmi, but he never saw it get physical. But also, if she's trying to poison you, you say that you ate something out of the fridge. <laughs> like, she didn't hand you something and was like, drink this now, drink this now, eat this now, eat this now. Like, you went in the fridge casually, like, eh, I think I'm going to have a snack or whatever. You grab something out that anybody else could have grabbed out. Mm-hmm. You would think. Yeah. Like, that doesn't sound like a... If that if you're going to poison somebody that way, it's not a real effective way to do it, I don't think. Well, anybody could be poisoned in that exactly. situation. Somebody else could accidentally eat it. She could have had somebody over and well, they could have eaten it. Torella, I do enjoy... Well, don't worry about... Okay, I'm going to start this over. I plan to make you a sweet, sweet cup of coffee. Just for you. I like that. And you only. Okay. And what I'm going to... Thank you. mm -hmm, Yep. There's nothing crazy here. I'm not going to do anything awful to you or for you or in the cup. Nothing. Don't worry about it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your own personal cup of coffee. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do your pumps of vanilla. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put a little frothy milk in there. And I'm going to stir, stir, stir. Ice, ice, ice. I'm going to go back here. And then here you go. That's how you poison somebody. Yeah. If you were going to, I'm not going to do that. Right. But like, yeah, it's like anybody that just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. No, it's stupid. Like, it's obviously, see, this is the thing. Like, there are so many things that point to there is a mental break, obviously. Like, I think that it's both. I think the answer is yes. Like, she is very much a master manipulator. I think that she is very much a fucking liar. She mm-hmm. says whatever she can to get herself out of jams and also get herself the the master bedroom. And 
all of the things that she wants because it works for her. But also, something is going on. Like, it it can be both. And I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And I think her boyfriend, you know, he's also around the same age or whatever. So she's telling him this kind of stuff. And he's just like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. Like, but he doesn't know, like, okay, well, this... I think I'm seeing signs of a mental break and maybe I need to, you know, like... Well, he's 17 his, her mom years saw old it. 18 years old. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. me did everything that she could, but these are just all things that are swirling and happening and she's making big life changes, like breaking up with her boyfriend. Now she's being real... And they've been together a few years. Yes. Accusing him of something crazy. Kathy, you know, Kathy and he both say, what are you talking about? That never happened. But she's positive. Yeah. Positive. Just like she's positive, there's bleach in the dog bowls. Yes. Like. Absolutely. And I think that it's it's got to be hard for like, and I, her boyfriend is obviously closer to her than like her friends, but like I'm counting him as a peripheral friend because she's still at home with her parents, right? So like mm-hmm. her parents or, you know, step parents, whatever, they are, that that's the nucleus. And then everything else is that gray matter outside of it, Right. So, while he might be close to her, he's not seeing her all day, every day, like her parents are. So, how could he even know? I mean, she's probably going to put her best foot forward most Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff she told him. And the the police, when they were talking to him, were like, okay, well, did you see that happen? And he's like, well, no, she told me about it. And they're like, right. okay. And then she would tell him something else. And they're like, okay, did you see that happen? And he's like, no. Yeah. She told me about it. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. he only has the information he has. Absolutely. And so detectives talked to Isabella's stepfather, Ryan, who couldn't really comprehend what had happened. But despite the resentment and hostility Isabella clearly had for her mother, Ryan said that he had never imagined that she would do anything like this. He said that Isabella's anger had increased over the past few weeks, but couldn't think of anything specific to prompt it. Ryan described his stepdaughter as being extremely depressed about her life and said that she seemed to blame her mother for everything. And Ryan couldn't recall ever having seen his wife and stepdaughter having a physical fight, but had witnessed countless verbal altercations. He described how Isabella would scream at Yunmi and that Yunmi would often yell back, And when asked if he ever intervened in these arguments, he was like, look, I, it's best just to like bow out and let them handle it. I don't love that. I don't either. Well, and he said, he's like, you know, it's, it's just really easy. Like as the stepdad to be the one that she hates. I think she was so difficult and hateful that he was like, if she's not mad at me, then I don't want to make her mad at me. But at the same time, dude, like, that's your wife. Well, stand up for, well, yeah, that's a respect thing. But also it's like, what the, are you going to let this little girl disrespect your wife like that? Mm -hmm. Like, he's just like, I just, you know, I just learned it's just better to let her deal with it. Yeah. Hey, y'all. You know how Tori is basically a Spice Girl and dresses the cutest and has the best makeup and hair in the whole world? Or like how I can't stop buying stuff on Amazon, mostly for my kids? Well, we get asked all the time, where does Tori get her clothes and makeup? 
And what stuff am I constantly overbuying to make mom and home life easier? So we made a links page. Head over to killerqueenspodcast.com slash links and scroll down to shop our style or our Amazon faves. Here you'll find all the posts you can shop with our unique links to each item, as well as our Amazon storefront, where we have lists like 90s finds. This is curated by Tori with all the best 90s stuff like Tamagotchis and My Little Ponies, my back to school must haves list, gift ideas for kiddos that I love, podcast essentials if you ever want to start your own show, and more. And we add to it all the time. Now, To be totally honest, we do make a commission if you use these links to make a purchase, and we always appreciate everything you do to keep the lights on over here. So be sure to head to killerqueenspodcast.com slash links and scroll down to shop our style or our Amazon faves to totally twin with us. We love you guys to the moon, and we cannot wait to share all of our style and life faves with you. Ryan also told them about a time about five years before this when Isabella had come down to the basement where he slept to borrow his fan. And he was like, uh, uh, no, thank you. I need that fan. And Isabella punched him in the face. (laughs) She was so used to getting her way inside of that home. And I mean, like we said, the master bedroom, that was hers. Master bathroom, hers. She had four dogs that lived inside of the house, and some said that Isabella uh, essentially ran the household. She burned incense constantly, probably to, like, cover up the smell of the marijuana, but that really irritated you and me. Unsurprisingly, this was not the first time that Isabella had a run-in with the police. This was obviously way more severe, but Ryan had said that she had gotten in trouble in the past for shoplifting, trespassing, and drinking alcohol at school. She'd even been expelled in the past for bringing a knife to school about three years prior to the murder. Okay, and psychiatrist was like, typical teenage stuff, typical teenage girl stuff. Brought a knife to school. I've done it. I mean, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Or woman, I don't don't know who it was, but. Which time are you talking about me bringing a knife to school? Is that not normal? Okay, I guess we need to have a talk. Okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll talk about it later. But they asked him about when they'd, or when he'd found Isabella in the bathroom with Yunmi, and Ryan said that he could hear loud noises, but that he thought that Isabella was striking Yunmi with her fist. And he told the detectives, quote, Isabella was in a rage like I'd never seen before. Meanwhile, back in the interrogation room with Isabella, sounds like a true treat, Um, She had not budged at all on her story. Detectives asked where the cuts on her hands had come from, the scar on her forearm or the scar on her arm had come from. And she was like, oh, my abusive mother, she attacked me with some scissors and I had to run away. And investigators were like, ooh, that's kind of weird because Isabella Guzman has the exact same cuts and the exact same scar on her arm. So that's kind of crazy because... The police dogs, when they were searching for Isabella Guzman in the parking garage, had attacked her, and that's where that came from. And Isabella was like, weird. I guess some people can have the same scars in the same places and look exactly the same, and one of them can be really skinny and pretty, and the other one can be not as skinny. (gasps) Again, it's It's like... just how it works. I wish I had, like, a tenth of the confidence and to just not be rattled with that kind of stuff like the police are like 
dude, we fucking know this is you. And she's like, no, it's not. I know. But I mean, that's either a sign of a psychopath or a mental break happening. Like she, there's absolutely no shame in her game. So for what seemed like the hundredth time, Isabella asked to be fingerprinted and have her DNA taken to prove that she was in fact not Isabella. And detectives were like, okay, yes, we're going to bring somebody in to swap your cheek, but it's going to take a long time. It's going to take months to get this back. Detectives brought in the bags that had been found with Isabella in the parking garage, and Isabella told them that she stopped at a market after running away and that a woman there helped her, buying her some underwear and sanitary pads because she looked so dirty and disheveled. She agreed when officers asked if she'd be on the security camera at the market. So someone from the store, this was the H Mart, had called detectives to tell them that they had the woman police were looking for on the surveillance photo, uh, surveillance video, excuse me. In the video footage, Isabella was covered in blood. She was still wearing that pink sports bra and turquoise shorts that Ryan said she had left the house in. Covered in blood. Okay, so Samantha yeah. happens to have Many, many more people than just the one bought that sports bra and shorts. Well, do you think that they just they just sold the one? They made bra more than one. And the one pair of shorts. And also, do you think that I bleed my own blood? Okay. Everybody bleeds their own blood. Sure. Two people who look exactly the same, who happen to be wearing the same exact outfit. One of them killed somebody, the other one didn't. They can both look exactly the same and be on surveillance video at the same time that the other one was there, but not, they're not the same person. I just feel like- And that can happen. You have never watched The Prince and the Pauper. It's like, it's like you're not even paying attention. You know what I mean? Like that, it happens. It happens. It happens. All Mm -hmm. of the time. So those who had been in the H Mart that day said that Isabella told them that someone had tried to sexually assault her and the video showed her walking into the H Mart bathroom. Inside the bathroom, detectives found clothing and bandages covered in blood. And when the detectives confronted Isabella with this information and asked her why she said that she had been assaulted, she said that the people in the store, they they don't need to know about the fight with my mom. I just need help. Makes sense, right? If you really think about it, it makes sense. So this is... God bless these detectives. They are three hours into the interrogation and Isabella is getting right pissed. She continued to stick to her story, but she was getting more and more agitated with the interrogators or the investigators and their questions. So she started to yell back. She shouted at them for not calling her Samantha. Don't call me Isabella. Mm -hmm. And the detectives, who'd been frustrated with her since the fucking get-go, threatened to bring in Robert, her father, to identify her. And Isabella was like, I don't know that guy. I never heard of him. Her literal father walks into the room and she's like, who is that? Dude. So her dad walks in. He's like, oh, baby. And he like tries to cradle her face. She pushes him off of her. And she goes into the corner and detectives are like, okay, excuse me, sir, who is this person? And she's like, or he's like, uh, that's my daughter, Isabella Guzman. And, and she goes, 
Is he insane? <laughs> I don't know that man. The method acting involved here. Mm-hmm. She then demanded to be taken to the French Quarter in Aurora so that she could see her boyfriend, Gabriel, who is not real. There's nobody. Yeah. Gabriel Couch. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pete Wineglass. So mm -hmm. as Isabella learned about the crime that she was being accused of, she told detectives how screwed up that, you know, oh my God, this Isabella girl is crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. And she also, they were like, we know what you did. You murdered your mother. You this, you that. And she's like, ew, just ew, ew, ew. She, she just kept responding with ew. This makes me sad for a specific generation of people that, do you know what I mean? Like, like maybe the, um, the, uh, Schitt's Creek. Alexis's of the world. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Ew. Oh, David. You David. <laughs> so up until the very end of the interrogation, until officers removed her from her room to take her to the hospital to have her hand and arm injuries stitched up, Isabella said that she was Samantha Gonzalez and that she had not murdered anyone. And it was difficult to tell, but um, nobody knew, like, is she a, mana a, manaster, a master manipulator or is she literally suffering from delusions? And again, I think that both can be true here. So, yeah. Yunmi's autopsy was performed and she was found to have suffered from 31 stab wounds to the face. Alone. Alone. And 48 to the neck. See, you hear those numbers and you're like, 31, my God. Oh, that's just to her face, though. That's just to her face. So that's 79 in the face and neck. And then later reports in court said that Yunmi had been stabbed a total of 151 times, including wounds to her torso and abdomen. Jeez. I mean, and that's like, Ryan literally saw the blood seeping from under the fucking bathroom door. That is horrific. And they weren't in there for that. Like, he heard what was going on and he acted mm -hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Isabella appeared in court in early September to be formally charged with first-degree murder and two counts of crime of violence, which is described as a, uh, quote, sentence-enhancing charge. During the hearing, Isabella made strange faces and gestures at the camera. Uh, one of these... What is that? Yeah, so she initially, like, she's standing there, and obviously there's, like, media cameras in there and stuff, and at one point she kind of looks up, and if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can't see the facial expression, but you can, if you type Isabella Guzman in TikTok, you'll see it. Yeah, she's, she's, oh gosh, she's facing away, but then she turns over, and then she's, like, pointing to one eye, pointing to the other eye, and then she, I don't know if she winks or something, but, like, it's it's very, very bizarre. It is. And before that, when she was still standing up, before she gets to the defense table, she's like looking and she has just a very like blank, stoic look on her face. And then she goes, almost like a, a kid who like your mom is like, please smile for this picture. Would you please smile for this picture? And they're finally like, fine. And like do this like smile. It was really, she was like, well, and mm. she's caught smirking multiple times. Like her, and, and that 
that's one of the things like it became a TikTok trend, which I don't personally agree with. I don't I kind of, I guess, understand how it became so popular because it's just so bizarre. But at the same time, it's like, let's not give her the attention that she's obviously, I don't know if she wants it, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't, Yeah. let's not do that. But people started to mimic her behaviors or mm-hmm. her, I don't know. It was. And they would set it to, there's some song called Cute But Psycho or something or Sweet But Psycho. I don't know the song. And... That's cute. I love, we love that. And they just, there was this fascination with people because they're like, but she's so beautiful. How could she have done this? And and there were actually people commenting about like, oh my God, but she's so cute. I'm so attracted to her. Yeah. She must have had a good reason to kill her mother because look at how pretty she is. I, again... And I don't mean to be hateful. I mean, she's fine. She's not ugly. I'll say that. I am not seeing what everybody else is seeing. She's not this like breathtaking, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. I do not get it. I don't either. The judge ordered Isabella to be held without bond at the Arapahoe County Jail. Before her court appearance, Isabella essentially had to be dragged out of her cell because she had refused to leave. That uh, tracks. Mm-hmm. Her father, Robert, told local news that nobody in their family could understand what would have brought Isabella to do this. He said, quote, Isabella is a good kid. She's good hearted. But I don't know what could have happened, honestly, to provoke this kind of reaction. Isabella's aunt, Melanie Guzman, said that she'd last visited Isabella a few months ago and that she seemed like a normal teenager. Melanie said, quote, her demeanor is pretty sweet. She's very coquette. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, you know, like a coquettish, like kind of um, coy, shy. um, No, Um, like coquettish. It's um, gosh, I'm trying to think of um, like. Daffy Duck or a uh, um yeah Daffy Duck um on the God I'm trying to think of um okay so Mickey's Christmas Carol mm-hmm. remember when Donald Duck like he wants to um ask out Daffy Duck I guess is her name Daisy Duck you mean Daffy Daisy Duck, Duck. Right? Daffy Duck is yeah. yes okay sorry I'm like. Daphne Duck? Um, <laughs> Daisy Duck, yes. And she's very like, oh my gosh, oh, oh. Like, oh, that's okay. coquettish, yeah. Okay, I did not know that. All right, so um, her demeanor is pretty sweet. She's very coquette. I can see her yelling, screaming, and storming off and locking herself in her room and turning on her iPod, but not being violent like that. In June of 2014, Isabella entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Dr. Richard Pounds, who'd evaluated Isabella, testified that she was schizophrenic and had been suffering from significant delusions for quite some time. He said that it was clear that she wasn't well. Quote, there were obvious signs of hallucinating. She was staring into space, having conversations with people who were not present, and she was laughing at herself. Isabella's attorney stated that the delusions were what caused Isabella to stab her mother to death. 
They said that Isabella did not believe that Yunmi was her mother, but that she was a woman named Cecilia. And remember, she'd address that email you'll pay to Cecilia the day before that. Isabella believed that the world would end if she didn't kill Cecilia, and so she did. That's really sad. George Brockler, the state's district attorney, said, we punish people who make decisions to do wrong when they knew better and they could have done something differently. And in this particular case, I'm convinced, based on the evidence that I've seen and the information that's been presented in court, that this woman did not know right from wrong and she could not have acted differently than she did, given the significant schizophrenia and paranoid delusions, audible visual hallucinations that she was going through. I was convinced of it and felt like it was the interest of justice I had to take these steps. Isabella's plea was accepted and she was remanded to the state's mental hospital until she's deemed no longer to be a threat to herself or her community. In 2020, Isabella, then 25 years old, did a virtual interview with CBS4 and she said, quote, I was not myself when I did that and I have since been restored to full health. What else did and she, she say? said? <laughs> yeah, I am not a danger to anybody at all. Okay. She also commented on the actual murder, saying the fight with my mom was terrible and I was injured in the process. I have the scars on my hands. Oh, um, but... Is it about you? No. Yeah. Hey, I was injured too. Yeah. I mean, she died, but I was injured. Does Nobody's nobody asked about, about my scars. And again, I, I understand the scars remind us that the past is real. That's mm -hmm. actually the hard part for her probably. But she's like, but I was hurt too. Yeah. And she also said that her family was very abusive to her, that they had been very strict Jehovah's Witnesses. And you and me still was practicing Jehovah's Witness um, when she died. Okay. But she said that she left the religion when she was 14 and that after she left the religion, her abuse at home was much worse after that. I just, I have a really, really hard time accepting that, especially with, in connection to, but also I was hurt in the process of mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. you know, the fight was terrible. My God, it was, it was not great. Um, but look at my scars. And also, yeah. like, it just, it, none of that, nobody can corroborate any of that kind of stuff. Nobody right. can. And typically, abusive parents are not going to take a child that they are abusing to multiple doctor appointments where they could be evaluated. Yeah. And... Somebody could, because these are mandated reporters, so that they could call CPS or something like that. Like, they're trying to get her help. Well, and also, I would venture to say that a lot of abusive parents would not want to call police and bring in authorities to that right. situation, which you and me yeah. did to try mm -hmm. to protect herself and her family. Yeah. And she also said when she called, I'm afraid that she's going to hurt somebody here. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid she's going to hurt herself. Mm -mm. I'm not afraid for her safety. I'm afraid that I'm going to be hurt. So if this really was a situation where you and me was the abuser. Yeah. The discrepancy of the injuries between the two is significant. Yes, absolutely. 
Yunmi was going to take a shower. She was naked. She was getting into the shower and she was attacked. Absolutely. Isabella locked the door. Yes. Isabella stayed in that room to finish the job that she was doing. Well, after she was uh, provoked is not the right word, but like Ryan came in and tried to tried to open the door and she was like, no, like that is if there was ever any question of intent or premeditation, that's where that changes, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You can't say, uh, again, I mean, it depends on where you are and which state you're in and whatever. But like, in my opinion, you know, I think that there are crimes of passion where you just fucking go ham on somebody and then you come to and you're like, oh my God, what have I done? Right? She stabbed her 151 times. 151 times. I don't even think I can move my arm that much. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a lot of work. And also what I was thinking about was, listen, I do think that there it was both parts. I think that she was she is a manat God damn it, I did it again. A manaster manipulator. But <sighs> she was also, there was a mental break there. Yeah. Well, and I think they were just petrified of her, too. Because, I mean, you know, you've got Ryan, who was like, she comes down and I'm using this fan. And she's like, give me your fan. And he's like, please don't, please don't take my fan. I, I, I'm i using that fan. And she punches him in the face. Like, no, yeah, after, yeah. But you're talking about yeah. behavior that happened. Yeah, when when you're a teeny tiny little mm-hmm. child. And you're just like, okay, you run the show. You tell me what we're doing. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not saying that it's their fault by any means. This should have never happened, no matter what kind of upbringing you have. However, I do think that they're, they're, you know, it's like any case that we talk about where it's like, well, maybe we could have done something here. I don't know if it would have fixed it or changed anything, but maybe we could have done something here. Yeah. Maybe we could have done something here. Like amount Maybe of, we could have done something here. You know, like I just can't believe a psychiatrist would look at her. But that's the master mani- the monaster manipulator. I mean, yeah. What did she say in that visit? Were her parents present? Did they talk to the parents about all of the behavior? And then did she just like talk her way out of that and be like, that didn't happen? That's I guarantee the parents were not there because if I know Isabella Guzman. Samantha Gonzalez, like I think I do. She runs that fucking show and she'd be like, absolutely not. You're not coming in here. Yeah. Which I don't know with like a minor. That may be different in every state too, but like, because I I think surely with a practitioner like that, you would be able to have that privacy. So. Well, and I have heard from different people that I've talked to that have taken their children to psychiatrists or, you know, therapy sessions and stuff like that. They're not present, but they are allowed information like that, you know, they get kind of get a download on the session afterwards. So yeah. Information that they would need. Yeah. Know, or whatever. Yeah. In June of 2021, Isabella's request to leave the Colorado mental health Institute at Pueblo was denied. However, a judge ruled that she will be allowed to leave the hospital for group therapy and other therapy, but is required to wear a GPS tracker. 
And as it stands right now, she's still, I guess, I don't, I don't guess you call it incarcerated. She's still at the, this Institute with no release date in sight necessarily. I mean, they haven't released a a date that she might get out, but she is allowed to leave to go to therapy sessions. I'm just like, this case is unfortunately not new to either of us. I mean, we not, not this case specifically, but like this type of crime, this happens. Mm -hmm. However, her erratic behavior, her vehemently denying for like 27 years that it was her, like, it's just, there are a lot of aspects to this case that I'm like, wow, that makes it, that turns it on its head, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. And I mean, even if she does, like, even if she's doing much better right now, which I hope she is because absolutely part of it definitely is a mental break and that kind of stuff. But there's nothing, if she gets out, who's she going to go live with? I don't know that any of her family members, I don't know, maybe her dad would take her in. I don't know. I don't think his wife would be happy about that if they're still married. But like somebody is going to have to make sure that she is staying on top of her medication and things like that. And she's just with how violent she is when she's not in a good place. Well, and that how is somebody who is she has danger. proven to be. Yeah. Like if anything gets rocked a little bit, we could be in a situation where she's a danger to the community at large or anybody near her who pisses her off or whatever. And it's I'm sorry, but we like we can't risk that. Yeah, I mean like on a smaller scale, but equally, not equally disturbing, but you know what I mean? Like, look at Kathy. She was a peripheral friend of Isabella's and Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't want anything to do with her. Like Mm -hmm. she's, she's threatened me. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't even do anything to her. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. What does that mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just not worth the risk. Like she needs, she definitely needs mental health help. And she extensive. is extensive and she is in the place where she can get that. And that's where she needs to stay. Absolutely. And the fact that she is thinking about herself first and foremost, when we're talking about remorse, which is thankfully one of the things that people take into account for parole or early release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This um, is one of those situations where that actually like you hope that they do in a lot of yeah. cases. You're like, well, that's not fair. But yeah, in this case, it's like. You know, because she does. She thinks yeah. she's thinking about herself. Absolutely. And I don't I don't know if that's ever going to change for her, honestly. <laughs> like she is who she is. I mean, good, bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. She is very true to herself. But yeah. Oh, so that is the case. That's the case. Um, yes. Want to know what you guys think? Definitely let us know. And uh, we love you. We'll see you next time. Yeah, we sure do. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, it's shout out time. Boop, 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 boop. Also, adorably known as Fuck Your Name Up Time. Um, big time, big time, big time. We would love to not to not do that, but we're gonna do that. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Although we did get a not a review, but. Somebody posted in the group that we actually said their name right. I know. I could not believe it. Yeah. But you, that we're about to say your name, don't get too excited. Okay. 
So we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Shannon Balfi. Came right out the gate with that one. <laughs> Jacinta Yenev. Lainey. Oh, man, I thought this was an easy Holland. Lainey Hoyland. Kalina Simon. Krista Slack. Anna Ruiz. Taylor Leatherwood. Brooke Shank. Chance Parker. Claudia Pinson. Ashley. Abby. Lindsay Card. Shay Frickle. Oh, I was like, she a frickle. <laughs> What's a frickle? <laughs> Got it. Shay Frickle. That makes sense. Lydia. Laura. Laura Miller. Zoe Hanna. Sherry Strolson. Skylar Young. And Courtney. Yay. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Thank you guys. We love you so much. Please ignore that we can't read. Exactly. Bye. Okay. Love you. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 